0: How does climate change impact sandstorms? And what's the U.S. Department of Justice's new climate office about? Welcome to the Climate Recap from the Sphere Climate Corner, your go-to place for international and U.S.-based climate news. I'm Becky Hogue, a science writer. Today is Monday, May 9th. Let's jump right into the news you need to start your day. Let's start with some climate events. India's Prime Minister Modi has requested states prepare heat action plans as temperatures continue to rise. Over two dozen people have died from heat so far in India. Scientists have officially linked this early-onset heat wave to climate change. Modi has also urged states to prepare flood action plans as they expect the monsoon season to begin in a couple weeks. Over in Iraq. One person has died and thousands sickened as the latest severe sandstorm hit the country's 18 provinces. Breathing in sand, as one would imagine, can cause a flare-up of respiratory diseases and endanger the elderly who suffer from heart conditions. Sandstorms can also increase exposure to toxins and bacteria. Sandstorms have increased in frequency in recent years due to climate change worsened drought in the region. Climate change has also increased the global wind speed, so that might be a factor, too. Now for a few climate studies, both published in the journal Science. The first one looked at the relationship between land use emissions and international trade. It found that from 2004 to 2017, 27% of all land use emissions were related to agricultural products consumed in a different country than they were grown in. The researchers also found that three-quarters of all land use emissions were caused by land use changes, like an area being deforested to make room for cattle ranching. The largest transfers of these emissions come, unsurprisingly, from countries like Brazil, Indonesia, and Argentina to be consumed in the United States, Europe, and China. This information matters because it helps us further understand how hyper-consuming countries are indirectly contributing to emissions. This, in my mind, supports the argument for wealthier countries helping poorer countries transition as well, because these countries are often emitting on our behalf anyways. The other study looked at how much oil and gas investors will fight back against the move away from fossil fuels. It determined that, quote, global action on climate change could generate upward of $340 billion in legal claims from oil and gas investors presenting a lot of legal and financial risks associated with moving away from fossil fuels. The researchers argued that governments need to get ahead of this and find ways of blocking fossil fuel investors from accessing investor state dispute settlements. Now let's check out some climate victories, starting in India. The Madras High Court, located in India's southeastern state of Tamil Nadu, declared that nature has the same rights as humans and that it's humanity's responsibility to take care of it. The case came against a government official who was forced to retire after selling off land meant to be a protected space. His sentence was reduced to a six-month suspension, but the punishment was for, quote, the action done against nature. From there, the drudge took up the rights. Of nature invoking the power of the government to act as a guardian to protect someone or something that doesn't have the ability to protect itself. This is an interesting way to go about legally protecting the rights of nature, and it will be interesting to see if any future judges in or out of India try to do this too. Over in the U.S., the Department of Justice announced a new office to tackle environmental justice efforts. Environmental justice looks at why marginalized and poor people are more likely to be exposed to harms relating to resource extraction, pollution, and the impacts of extreme weather events. The Office of Environmental Justice will specifically look at environmental injustices relating to the climate crisis, working alongside the Civil Rights Division and the United States Attorney's offices. President Biden asked for $1.4 million to run the office and $6.5 million to address climate change and pollution in poorer and minority communities in the 2023 budget request. The new DOE office is looking to reinstate a tool the department used to have, which allowed environmental justice violators to carry out EPA-approved projects in exchange for lower fines. Meanwhile, the Hawaii state legislature recently adopted a resolution calling for the state and all countries to endorse the Fossil Fuel Non-Proliferation Treaty. The treaty was created during the last big United Nations Climate Conference, COP26 in November, to get individuals, municipalities, states, and countries to formally commit to stop using fossil fuels. If the state officially joins, it will be the first island nation and U.S. state to do so. Hawaii's last coal-fired power plant is scheduled to be closed at the end of this year, and it has increased its renewables from 20% to 40% in the last eight years. Back to the mainland, Connecticut's governor issued an executive order requiring the state's power supply to reach net-zero emissions by 2040. Called an Act Concerning Climate Mitigation, it unanimously passed the Senate and widely passed the House. It will likely involve purchasing clean energy credits from nearby states because they share a regional grid. It doesn't necessarily mean they plan to shut down gas plants in their state because that would be something all states in the grid would have to decide on. Lawmakers also agreed to expand two solar incentive programs and to purchase all-electric public school buses by 2040. Now for some climate fails. New research by Climate Analytics has determined that Australia's Prime Minister Morrison's climate plan is consistent with almost 4 degrees Celsius of warming above pre-industrial levels. For context, we need to stay below 2 degrees Celsius to avoid the most catastrophic scenarios of climate change. Really, below 1.5 degrees Celsius if we want to see a decent amount of the Great Barrier Reef survive this century. Labor's climate target was actually consistent with about 2 degrees Celsius of warming, which still wouldn't save the reefs. The analysis found that Australia should cut its emissions by 57% by 2030 to be compatible with the 1.5 degrees Celsius goal. Over in the European Union, Germany has officially started building its first floating liquefied natural gas, or LNG, terminal in Lower Saxony in the North Sea. This will be the first of four terminals in an effort to wean itself and the rest of the EU off Russian gas, as these terminals will be used to help landlocked EU countries access non-Russian gas. The terminal will receive gas from the Middle East and the U.S. LNG terminals usually take about three to five years to be built, but the German government wants to accelerate the process, which means they might not be focusing on researching the environmental impacts before giving it the green light. The group Environmental Action Germany is suing the construction project, saying it puts the local organisms like harbor porpoises at risk. The government argues this lawsuit will hinder the country's ability to get off Russian gas. Climate activists argue that fossil fuel companies already have so much infrastructure that there's no need to approve more, and that these terminals will encourage more reliance on fossil fuels when we should be prioritizing a clean energy transition. On Friday, we talked about the increased dam risk in Brazil. Well, today, we got to talk about that in the U.S. A new Associated Press analysis discovered more than 2,200 high-hazard dams in this country, a drastic increase from the number they reported three years ago. The actual number might even be higher, but Alabama and Michigan don't really track this kind of data, and federal agencies refuse to give details on the state of their dams. The Army Corps of Engineers has about 92,000 dams in its database. Many were constructed about 50 years ago, a similar timeline it seems to when many nuclear plants were constructed in this country. The states with the most faulty dams are Texas, North Carolina, and Georgia. Let's end with a climate scientist getting recognized for good work. NASA climatologist and agronomist Cynthia Rosenweg was awarded the World Food Prize and $250,000 for her work modeling how climate change will impact the global food system. She says she hopes the award will raise awareness of the need to improve food and agriculture systems to lessen their effects and improve their resiliency to climate change. 160 million people around the world experienced food insecurity last year. A 19% increase from the year before and one of the root causes is climate change making extreme weather events and climates in general more extreme Rosenwick founded the agricultural model intercomparison and improvement project which invites a global and interdisciplinary group of scientists to help improve prediction methods to better understand the future directions our global food system might go the foundation has been used by 90 countries to aid their decision making And that was your climate news for Monday, May 9th. If you like the work I do, please follow this podcast, give it a five-star rating, please leave a review. (laughs) I would appreciate that. And consider checking out the Becca's Climate Corner YouTube channel. Remember to talk about the climate crisis every single day and to support your local news organizations. Bye for now.